Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome to Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow with your host, In Sung Kim. Sponsored by Hope in Mission, LLC. To connect with the show, Go to insungkim.org. That's I N S E O N G K I M dot O R G. Or listen to Insung on oneplace.com. And now it's time for yesterday, today, and tomorrow with your host, Insung Kim. Hello, this is Insung Kim from yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we have a special guest, Mike Noriega, with us. And this program will be perfect after the holiday. And we just can process of some of the grief uh, that we, everyone in some way that we have um, loved on, that we lost. So it will be a perfect book to read. An uncollapsible soul. How do you endure a broken heart without crushing your spirit? And thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yes, and uh, previous program you shared about your story, how it happened, and uh, what you went through. And this second program, you can share with us how you um, overcame uh, this process. Of the grief, and uh, it mentioned that 2.5 million people die in the United States annually, and each leaving an average of five grieving people behind. And no one is left unaffected by grief of the losing a loved one. So there are so many people. 2.5 million people die every year. Yeah. And uh, if it's average of five grieving people behind, and then pretty much everyone, in a way, experiencing grieving, right? Yep. None of us are getting out of here alive. <laughs> That's right. Yes, yes. So please share with us about your book and how did you get to write this book and what um, uh, gave you a passion to write this book? Yeah, that's a great question because I have made many goals and dreams lists in my life. Never once has one of them been to be an author or to write a book. Uh, maybe to read a book, but that's about as far as it goes. But what I've learned about what I've learned about God 
is my life verse in all seasons has become Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things that happen are good, but he works all things for our good. Mm. And so even in a bad situation, it doesn't mean just because things are bad doesn't mean that God is bad. God is still good even when the circumstances are not good. Um, The real reason that I wrote this book, believe it or not, is actually not because of Surfside. And I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler by sharing the plot twist of the book. But the real reason that I wrote this book is because uh, 10, yeah, it was about 10 years ago that I went through a crushed spirit where I lost my faith, my hope, and my purpose because I went through an unforeseen divorce. Um, That's why, really, the book has nothing to do with Surfside. Uh, As I mentioned before, that we all go through grief. And, you know, you you mentioned, I think, 2.5 million people pass away in the United States every every year. Well, that's, that's one form of grief, a burial. But what about when you go through a betrayal? You know, where a best friend stabs you in the back or your, your partner's had an affair. What about if you go through a breakup? Like in my case, what led for me going through a crushed beard is, was a divorce or a bodily breakdown that you get that bad, new, that bad report from a doctor. How do you heal through these things? And for me, the reason I wrote the book is because I got married in... 2010, and I was already a Christian, and I believed that God truly uh, was going to bless me with somebody so special, and that I wanted to honor Him and give her a gift that I could never give to anybody else. And so uh, I saved myself for for marriage, uh, and gave myself to her on our wedding night for the first time, mm-hmm. and. For me, three and a half years later, when I came home one night and my wife at the time, uh, she had her bags packed, in my mind, uh, I mean, life was smooth sailing. Uh, I was uh, 27 or 28 years old, and we had bought our first house that she fully decorated. My business was going really, really well, and life was good. But uh, the person that I had married, uh, she had some very deep trauma in her life that I was too immature at the time to realize that she needed some serious help. And so coming home that night, uh, she had her bags packed and said, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to leave. I'm going to spend the, the night at my mom's house. To which I responded, what do you mean? Uh, we're not even sleeping in separate bedrooms. And she just insisted and insisted, like, you know, almost like this is escalating quickly. We're not even a marriage counseling, but mm. she left that night and she never came back. Mm. And the reason that she never came back is she was having a full-blown affair. And um, despite that, I forgave her and believed that God was going to save our marriage. And so the only way that I can describe the emotions was that the night that my wife left me, my heart broke. But the day of our divorce that I thought God was going to save our marriage, my spirit was crushed. Mm. And my spirit was crushed because I lost my faith. Mm. I really did. 
mm-hmm. I, I, for me, my heart at the time was God. This I was I was obedient to you. Like I saved myself for this woman, and you allowed this to happen. If this is the type of God you are, I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with this. I, I tried it your way. Your way doesn't work, God. Now I'm going to try it my way. Mm. And I spent the next year and a half of my life running from God. And I would describe it this way, that I started losing everything by chasing nothing. I was throwing myself into the world. And ultimately, I felt deeply insecure. I felt rejected. I felt unlovable. And I didn't believe that I was worthy of love because of the loneliness and rejection and abandonment that I was that I was facing. Mm. And it brought me to this place where what I really truly wanted was love and acceptance and intimacy, but I was settling for cheap perversions of it. Mm. And what ultimately brought me back to God was that my theology the basis of my entire faith was completely off, that my faith, when it was tested, you know, my pastor, uh, Rich Wilkerson Jr., he he's says something that's so powerful, that a dream that has not been tested is a dream that cannot be trusted. Hmm. When my faith was tested, I learned that my faith could not be trusted, because when it came down to it, my faith was not attached to Jesus my faith was attached to an outcome. Mm. And that's a weak foundation. Because when I didn't get the outcome, my soul collapsed. Everything within me collapsed. And so it was about a year and a half later that I realized that I had allowed my pain, that I wasn't going through grief, I was going through pride. That I had allowed my pain to become a source of, of pride as to as justification to why I didn't have to trust God. And I don't know if anybody right now is going through that, that they're, that they're blaming God um, or they've lost their faith because of the loss and the grief that you're going through. But there were two things that pulled me out of that, where my spirit became rescued. And the first thing that I realized <clears throat> is that at the time I was working out a lot and I was working out for all the, the wrong reasons. I was working out for external validation because, again, I didn't feel I was worthy of love. But what I knew about working out was that when you're in the gym, you don't get stronger. Mm. You actually get weaker. You break down your muscles to failure. Mm. How you get stronger is how you respond to your muscles failing. Mm. So when you put the right amount of sleep, protein, carbs, water back into your body, God designed our muscles so that your muscles not only grow back stronger, so the next time you go to handle that weight, you can handle that and more. But if he did it for our, our, our bodies, how much more so did he design our spirits in that way? Mm-hmm. To where when our spiritual fibers get torn, that it's not meant to make us collapse, but rather it's meant to allow us to become stronger. So that was the first revelation that I had that really rescued my spirit. But the second thing that completely changed my outlook on who God is in the heart of God is, as I mentioned, my pain became just a source of pride that, God, I can't trust you because you let me down. I was obedient and you weren't in a way. And 
I realized that, wait a second, my theology is backwards, that God became flesh, that Jesus was God in the flesh, and he went, there's no experience that we go through that he did not only experience, but he opted into, that Jesus went through mental, physical, emotional, and even spiritual torture, that he went through betrayal, he went through abandonment, he went through loneliness. And he was God in the flesh. He was perfect. And that's when I realized, oh, my gosh, the God of the universe, Jesus was perfect. And I'm not. And yet, because I was kind of obedient to him, that I deserve better than Jesus. And I realized I could trust God because, as I mentioned before, he is not the God of sympathy that offers cheap cliches. He's not the God of sympathy that simply feels sorry for us, but he is the God of empathy that feels exactly what we feel. And what I mean by that is this. I'm going to give you the most perfect example that really helped me. We often say that the shortest verse in all scripture is that Jesus wept, Mm -hmm. but that is such a powerful verse Mm -hmm. because of the context of it, that Jesus... um, had just found out about Lazarus's death, and he had announced on two separate occasions that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he made it very, very clear what was about to happen. Now, here's the thing. If, if you're Jesus and you know that you're about to raise him from the dead, why would you mourn? It was because Jesus's heart broke for his friends and family that were around him, that when when things break our heart, when life breaks our heart, that God's heart breaks for us. Jesus could have easily used that as a teaching moment to say, ye of little faith, I just told you guys, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Do you not believe me? But he didn't do that. Mm-hmm. He did not do that. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he became near to the brokenhearted, that his empathy and his presence is the very thing that rescued them from being crushed in spirit. And that's the same thing that the God of the universe offers us today, that if you'll allow him into your pain, that if you'll allow him, you know, Jesus always asked before he did a miracle, do you want to be healed? And it was one day when he received that response Mm. of yes, that people would receive the healing. And you got to cry out to God that when he, when prayer is your first response, that God is your first responder, that who else would you want to be in your presence? And so that was the beginning of my, of my healing journey. So ultimately what I call the curse in one season in Sung mm. became a blessing in another season. But I realize now that my crushed spirit through my divorce was actually preparation for Surfside so that when I didn't get the outcome that I wanted, that my spirit would not be crushed. Mm. And, um, you know, if you like, uh, what I can do is I can actually share the the very practical handles Mm -hmm. of what I did to actually uh, go through the healing process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the five prerequisites for restoration, uncollapsible soul. Please share with us about this tool. Yeah, so these are actually the healing steps that I went through. So I call them the five requisites to restoration. 
Uh-huh. And anything that's a requisite, uh, it's it's think of like a prerequisite is it's it's needed before your healing. And mm-hmm. each step is actually in order that precedes the other that you have to go through uh, in order to experience healing. And so that first requisite is that you have to recognize your heartbreak. You have to reveal it, which this just means that you have to acknowledge your pain. Mm-hmm. Now, that that sounds very uh, simple and obvious, yeah. but a lot of people do not face their pain. They bury it because, let's face it, healing hurts. Uh-huh. The healing process is actually painful in and of itself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I really believe that Jesus spoke in parables because our minds do not think in words. Our minds do think in pictures, kind of like a movie a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. And so I want to give you guys a picture for each step. So imagine you're in the kitchen, you know, cutting, you know, vegetables and you, you accidentally just, you know, slice your, your hand wide open. Well, if you want to, to heal, the, the first thing you need to do is recognize, oh, my gosh, uh, I'm bleeding everywhere. I have this giant wound. I need to give this time and attention. And so the second step is that you need to respond to your grief, not just acknowledge it. And when you respond to your, your grief, you relieve it. You address your pain. See, with that, with, with like a physical wound, maybe you need to stop the bleeding. Maybe you need to wash out that wound, you know, under, under the faucet. Um, you have to respond to it because if you don't respond to it, then you could bleed out, you could get infected, And the same is true of our hearts, that when you have emotions within you that you don't deal with, that what happens is you get an infection in your soul. It's called bitterness. And so the next step is you have to release it. You have to relinquish your anguish. What that means is that after you address your pain, you have to surrender your pain. And surrendering is hard. And surrendering is scary. And it takes humility. But with the example of the physical wound, maybe you need to go to the hospital and get medical attention. Maybe you need to surrender to a doctor because you need stitches, or maybe you cut tendons and need a surgery. When you surrender to the care of, of professionals and you actually address it, you can actually heal in such a healthy way. And in the context of when it comes to healing from grief, this actually has a double meaning, right? Your first responder should be God, but God should not be your only responder. And that might sound controversial, but Jesus himself walked with 12 disciples at all times. See, Jesus, he went into solitude because that's intentional time to spend with God, but he never went into isolation. Isolation is where you cut off the world and there's no timeline. And so Jesus had 12 disciples. Who are we to think that we don't need community also, that we don't need strong believers, men and women that sharpen us to help us heal? And so part of it is you have to surrender your pain to God, but you also need to surrender to others. You need to tell somebody Hmm. about what you're going through. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend going to a Christian counselor or therapist, but you got to talk to somebody. You can't keep it within you. 
you know, whenever there's something very heavy that we're carrying that we've never shared somebody before, I've shared with somebody before, there's, we always have the same response, which is, oh, I'm so happy I got that off my chest. Why? Because we're not meant to carry our pain. We're meant to surrender our pain. I've also heard my pastor say uh, a very powerful uh, phrase that if you don't heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on other people that never cut you. So you have to relinquish your anguish. You have to surrender your pain. And then once you do that and you go through the healing process, which time is an ingredient there, now you can rename your pain. Mm -hmm. You can reframe it. See, what what was a wound in one season becomes a scar in another season. A wound can bleed out, it can get infected, uh, it, 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 can, it can be very, very painful, but a scar is something entirely different. A scar is a wound that's healed that has a story of triumph and healing attached to it. That scar tissue does not look the same, but scar tissue is thicker than the skin that was there before. So it's actually stronger and it can no longer get infected because it's not an open wound anymore. See, God wants to take your test and turn it into a testimony. He wants to take your trial and turn it into a triumph. But I think where we get so discouraged is that you don't heal from one day to the next. Just like a physical wound, the same is true of of emotional wounds and grief and pain. So there's going to be some time between those first three steps and this fourth step of renaming your pain. But you know what? God promises to work all things for your good. So start renaming your pain now that God's going to work this for my good. So start asking him, God, I trust you. I believe that you're going to work this for my good. Please show me how you're going to do it. Please bring purpose to my pain. And that's the, the fifth and last step is you have to redeem your sorrow, right? What does that mean? That means you have to renew your grief, or draw purpose from your pain. See, when you redeem your sorrow, like if you redeem a coupon, you are trading something for another. You're trading a coupon for a discount. Well, when you redeem your sorrow, you're trading your grief for joy. How good is our God that he is the God that collects every single tear in a jar but he, act, he remembers every tear, but he forgets all of our sin, that he separates uh, our sin as far as the East is from the West and casts it out. So you got to draw purpose from your pain, because if you look at any story that changes the world and inspires people, it's, there's always um, nobody, nobody, nobody is inspired by a story that you didn't go through something painful. But everybody's inspired by a story where you go through pain and heal from it because you give people hope. See, your pain is so much bigger than you. And kind of where I want to wrap up this idea from is that uh, my favorite uh, movie trilogy ever is uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. And there's this whole theme uh, in those Batman movies that goes like this. It says, why do we fall? And the answer in the movies is so that we can learn to pick ourselves back up. Mm -hmm. And I I love the symbolism there because Mm -hmm. there is a scripture that says 
that the righteous person stumb, uh, falls mm-hmm. seven times, mm-hmm. but they get back up eight. What does that mean? It means that your soul is meant to be uncollapsible, mm-hmm. that, that falling is not failure. Mm-hmm. Staying down is, that it takes faith to get back up. That's why it's righteous to, to get back up. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> uh, going back to what I was saying about uh, in the movie that they say, why do we fall to learn to pick ourselves back up? I think that's a great answer, but I would take it a step further. And I would say that we often find our calling through falling because that pain that we go through when we fall, what happens is sometimes we allow our pain to define us. But God wants to use our pain to refine us. Mm. And it gives, the reason we find our calling often through falling is because we give space and room for God to show off and to ex- exceed our expectations. Yeah. Let me ask yeah. you this. If, and this is just a, a rhetorical question for everybody to ask themselves, but if God always met your expectations, how would there ever be room? for him to exceed them. Mm. God wants to bring purpose and passion to your pain because there's no situation that you face that he himself did not opt into first. And that's why we can trust the God of the universe. So I really hope this helped somebody again. The name of the book is Uncollapsible Soul. How do you endure a broken heart without crushing your spirit? Uh, you can find me on any social media platform at the Mike Noriega. Uh, I would love to hear from everybody. And you can also uh, go to MikeNoriega.com or UncollapsibleSoul.com uh, to, to find the book. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing with us. Thank you. Lots of channels. Nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525.